0: G'day, it's Parky here with the first ever episode of Cancel Sailwatch. Today, Sam, Luke and I talk about that first yearning to fly. It might have been a low-flying F-111 or the rumble of piston engines from an old DC-3 or exciting tales from an older pilot or even reading classic Biggles books. Whatever it was, it sparked within us a desire to get ourselves into the skies ASAP. We talk about those special first sparks together as well as how to keep the aviation spark alive. And via our Cancel Sailwatch retro salute to aviators in the past, or in this case, tryhard aviators, we share our favourite first attempts at flight via our top 10 pre-20th century historical flight attempts. Welcome to the Cancel Sailwatch podcast. What's the Cancel Sawatch podcast all about? Well, it's where three pilots from three different generations, 22 years apart, gather every two weeks to pursue the spirit of flight. Sam's our baby boomer pilot who first flew in the early 70s and safely logged 5 decades worth of military, police, rescue and instructional time. Parky, that's me, is our Gen X pilot and I began flying in the early 90s. I got a passion for safety management along with 20 years of military, rescue and instructional time. And of course, There's our new Gen Y pilot in training, Luke, who just kicked off his flying career by signing up for pilot training at a local flight school. Three different generations of pilots with three very different generational perspectives talk through the joys and challenges of flight as Luke progresses through pilot training and beyond. From the first spark of aviation curiosity to going solo and onwards to a professional career, Sam, Parkey and Luke passionately pursue the spirit of flight within the now highly technical experience of modern day aviation. As you listen, you'll get a couchside, behind behind-the-scenes perspective into the training, the knowledge and the attitude it takes for a pilot to finish a flight and radio into air traffic control, Cancel sailwatch. Hope you enjoy our conversation, and if you reckon it's worth it, please rate and comment. Also, why not visit the CancelSarwatch.com website for additional content such as pictures, memorabilia, safety articles to help you cancel sailwatch. And now, on with today's conversation. So we start our show today with our Retro Salute segment. This is a remembrance salute to a generation of aviators we wish we could have had on the show. Since humankind took to the sky, or tried to take to the sky, there have been many an airborne adventure, many a true spirit of flight account told and then forgotten. If we could, we would have shouted these past aviators a good coffee, a comfy couch, and a wireless mic to talk it up on Cancel Watch as a historical fourth generation to our three existing generations. But of course, many of these aviators are now long gone or outside the budget of our humble podcast and so too our opportunity for a cool interview. But their stories persist, and so we retell them here as a fitting intro to our own Spirit of Flight Cancel Sarwatch discussions. Today on a Cancel Sarwatch Retro Salute, we give a nod and a sympathetic cringe to pre-20th century aviation enthusiasts whose passion for flight far outweighed the means available. Most of them get an A for effort, but an F for results, as indicated by their attempts all too frequently being accompanied by a wide range of broken limbs, horrific impacts, and death. Nonetheless, their stories are well worth telling just for the sheer audacity and passion it took to launch themselves off tall buildings, bridges, and other elevated structures dependent completely upon flimsy contractions of wood and feathers and other strange contrivances. So here they are, my 10 favourite pre-20th century attempts at flight. Number 10. Not 100 years ago, not 1,000, but nearly 4,000 years ago in approximately 1760 BC, there's an intriguing historical reference in China to a fei tusku, a flying chariot. Chinese literature from the 3rd century says this, The people of Tiscai Kung knew very well how to build a technical tool used to kill birds. They are also capable of building the flying chariot, which can travel great distances with favourable winds. During the Tang period, Western winds brought such a chariot all the way to Tuscal, but Tang had destroyed it so that people would not see it. After 10 years had passed, Tang had another similar flying chariot built when the eastern winds blew and sent the visitors of the time to their lands some 20,000 kilometers away, passing through the Lu Min passage. No one is really sure what this flying chariot was, whether myth or actual machine, but just the mystery of it being from 4,000 years ago makes it worthy of number 10. My ninth favorite pre 20th century flight attempt Al-Dajawari, who lived in Arabia approximately 1000 AD. He was a Turkish academic who had evidently had had enough of pure theory and decided it was time to test his theories in the sky. His means of flight were pretty rudimentary, a few planks held together by rope. Climbing a nearby mosque, where by now word had got out and a crowd had gathered, attempted flight and crowds always go together, Al-Dajawari boldly announced, ''Oh people, no one has made this discovery before, now I will fly before your very eyes.'' The most important thing on earth is to fly to the skies. This I will do now. He did not. He fell to the ground, wooden wings and all, and died. Bold words, heartfelt attempt, but still an F for achievement. My eighth favourite pre-20th century flight attempt, Elmer of Malmesbury, was an English monk from about 1000 AD. This guy had apparently read about Icarus and Daedalus, and so, on his understanding of the wings that they had built, he put together his own contraption of wings and attached them to his hands and feet. Unlike Al-Dajawari, his wooden wings were a good size. And without a bold speech to announce his attempt, he just launched himself quietly from atop an abbey and reportedly flew about 200 metres. Great glide, bad landing. In fact, it was more of an arrival than a landing as two broken legs attested. Unfortunately, his one and only flight meant he was crippled for the rest of his life and never recovered financially. Still, that's pretty gutsy. Seventh favourite pre-20th century flight attempt, was by an Italian guy posing as a Scottish guy under the name of John Damien. Damien managed to get in the good graces of King James IV by promising all manner of scientific miracles such as the Philosopher's Stone, being able to change base metals to gold and so forth. In his spare time, he set about enthusiastically making huge wings out of the feathers of different birds. His flight plan was from the highest point of Stirling Castle in Scotland to France. Needless to say, that flight plan was cancelled on takeoff when instead of soaring for France, he plummeted directly down to the ground below where he suffered a broken leg but miraculously survived. It was reported that bystanders were unsure whether to mourn his injuries or marvel at his daftness. Damien was quick to blame the failure on the wrong proportion of dunghill fowls feathers and eagle feathers. His theory, which remains untested to this day, is that a greater proportion of eagle's feathers would have pulled him upwards instead of the dunghill feathers pulling him down. The idea was that a lowly bird, i.e. dunghill type of bird, would more likely gravitate towards the ground rather than upwards. My sixth Favourite pre-20th century flight attempt, and it's another Turkish attempt by a gent named Ligari Hassan Salibi in about 1630. No wooden wings for this bloke. He reportedly contrived of a seven-winged rocket. It's recorded this way. Ligari Hassan had invented a seven-winged rocket using 140 pounds of gunpowder paste. He mounted the rocket before the emperor. His students lit the wick. He said, O my Sultan, be blessed. I am going to talk to Christ, and he ascended praying. He lighted the rockets he took with him, illuminating the surface of the sea. When the big rocket ran out of gunpowder, he splashed into the sea while landing. Thereupon he swam and came before the sultan naked. He kissed the ground and joked, O my sultan, Christ sends his regards to you. He was granted a sack of silver coins and was enrolled as a cavalry soldier with 70 silver coins for his salary. Of course, this sounds more fiction than fact, but it's still a cool story, so it gets a mention at number six. The fifth favorite pre 20th century flight attempt was a renaissance man called Paolo Guidotti, who believed strongly feather and wing contraptions were still the go, but with an important upgrade. Curved whale bones and springs to hold the feathers and bones in a curved wing-like shape. He launched himself from a tower and surprisingly did not fall straight down, actually managed to glide more or less for about 300 meters before crashing through a roof and breaking his leg from there on his only recorded achievements are paintings evidently he decided flight wasn't for him the fourth favorite pre-20th century flight attempt was a guy called jeho torto from portugal again he was well educated as he would apparently tell you as according to some he had an extremely large ego which sounds to me as though he would have made a fine pilot Anyway, he used calico-covered wings and launched himself from a cathedral tower in front of, you guessed it, a large crowd, where he fell straight down onto the chapel roof. He might have been okay except for the fact that the large eagle helmet he'd worn for the occasion slipped over his eyes, obscuring his vision, and prevented him from seeing his predicament as he slid down the chapel roof over the edge and to his death. A for ego, F for achievement. The third favorite, the third favorite pre-20th century flight attempt is a French clergyman called Abbé Pierre Desforges in about 1770. He too built a pair of wings but convinced a local peasant to attempt his first flight rather than do it himself. On the big day, again with a crowd, Desforges led the rather nervous peasant up a tall belfry and proceeded to demonstrate to the peasant with flapping arms and jumps what was expected. Looking down at the ground and then looking at the clergyman acting like a cuckoo must have thrown the flight candidate off his game as he firmly declined. Not to be discouraged, Dave Forge spent two years constructing version 2.0 which had a gondola and 7 metre wings. He again decided to go with volunteers and managed to convince four peasants to help him carry the contraption up the belfry again. By now, word was out and before Dave Forge knew what had happened, he and his contraption had been pushed off the top of the tower where he fell straight to the ground, miraculously only suffering a broken arm. Don't mess with peasants. The second favourite pre-20th century flight attempt is not really a pre-20th century attempt, but it sure looks like it. It's a birdman competition we had in the late 1990s during peacekeeping operations on Bougainville. You'd think flying Hueys around in a tropical paradise would have kept us interested, but in our downtime, we got challenged by the neighbors, other support units, to a Birdman competition. I've posted a short VHS quality vid to the website While others went with the standard Birdman designs, we went with an innovative ballistic Sabo type principle. We welded up a rail launch system with one of the old mining carriages, repurposed to carry our pilot down the ramp at breakneck speed, and then fall away from him as he was propelled out over the water by momentum and speed. Sounds pretty crazy, and it probably was, but our honor as aviators was at stake. There was no way we were gonna let infantry or logistics win in the sky. Anyway, the launch time came, the restraining ropes were cut, and our contraption shot down the ramp and over the water with great success. We won, they lost, our pilot went further than any other. Pretty cool. My first favourite pre-20th century flight attempt was not just an attempt, it was a great success. And in 1783, men first took the sky in a sustained, non-limb-breaking, death-avoiding kind of way. It was Palatra Rosia and his Montgolfier balloon, and we've dedicated a whole Retro Salute segment to him next episode. That's how good it is. Anyway, that's it for today. Our favourite A for effort attempts at flight. Yep, some of those attempts seem pretty crazy, but you can't fault their passion for flight. And that's what we're talking about today. The first spark of passion Sam, Luke and I had for flight and why. On with the conversation. So we're here just to talk about the initial sense of yearning or that desire to fly and we just heard about all those initial attempts where monks and priests and so forth and all of them ended up in either injury or death as they strapped strange contraptions to their backs and came up with weird mechanical linkages and feathers actually one of the ones was quite funny because it was talking about um using eagle feathers and then some kind of swamp bird feathers and when the attempt wasn't successful the enterprising pilot blamed it on the fact that he had these swamp birds feathers and (laughs) the bird feathers were attracted to the ground if he had more eagle feathers it would have been attracted to the sky and he Uh, would have flown so seems legit (laughs) yeah anyway we can laugh at all that kind of stuff but deep down i think we all kind of empathize with standing on the ground two feet looking up into the the blue ether and going man that's pretty cool so today's podcast i just wanted to go back to those days for sam and i and then obviously for luke as well Mm. a little while ago in terms of where that initial yearning came from talk about a little bit about maybe what inspired it what fed it it might have been books it might have been movies it might have been someone that you knew and i'll just spend a little bit of time on on that so i'll just start off with the the question what is your earliest recollection of wanting to fly
1: well so my dad was a helicopter pilot in the army i remember the very first time i went flying with him got to sit in the back of a huey and it was just just the feeling of picking straight off the ground and like looking out of the window and just seeing the ground getting smaller and smaller it was just awesome it was just so foreign because i think that's probably Mm. the first time i'd ever been flying so it was probably that mixture of awe and excitement and and also pretty cool that my like, my dad was making it happen, mm. so it was obviously the helicopter, but I just remember thinking, oh, dad's making us fly. That's pretty cool. The so, how, how old would you have been? Uh, I don't know. It must have kind of been much older than maybe 10 or so. That was in super early primary school. Yeah, that was pretty cool. As a little side note, maybe not necessarily anything to do with flying, but I also remember we got army ration packs on that flight <laughs> as well, and they were so good. I couldn't believe that dad got to eat uh, Lifesavers every day, because <laughs> he always was saying, Matt no, can't have that much sugar, and here he is, banging down life every day <laughs> yeah so that was the first time it was awesome it was pretty cool
0: no the ration packs were pretty cool I've got M&M's in them now oh, nice even better mm-hmm.
2: Well, we go for surf rescue too. You <laughs> Yeah, last day day too? surf rescue. <laughs> uh,
1: yep, we should always have a, a packet of those sitting. In so go. was that sort of like a family day or something like that? It was a flight from where we are living to my grandparents' place. We went and landed on the Oval Tennefield. Yeah. So I think it was just myself and my sister, a couple of other army guys and dad, and we mm. flew to uh, Field to say hey to the grandparents. Yeah, it was awesome. It was yeah. pretty cool. So it was just, it was a mixture of, you know, awesome flying, being yeah. with my dad, going to see grandparents whom I love it was just yeah, it was yeah, a, yeah. the perfect first flight
2: yeah, probably great. unauthorized if I know Dick <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say that but now that you brought it out um,
0: oh, that man. was a code name that's not his real name uh, to protect the guilty <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would have been what mid 90s late 90s I suppose probably late 90s yeah Yeah. okay cool so that and that's uh, I guess the first time where you really saw the reality of flight yeah was there anything yeah. early like
1: books movies anything like not that not necessarily no. no I don't think so I love Watching Star Wars and stuff, yeah. But yeah, I don't think it was just pretend it, lightsaber, anyway. <laughs> <or something? laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I still do. <laughs> um, that was probably the, the first time it was the full experience of flight, and I was like, oh wow,
0: yeah. this is pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool.
1: Sam, what about you? Do you
0: remember that <coughs> spark of? Wanting to fly. Oh yeah!
2: Uh, as a even as a little kid, I remember well, I grew up in Bendigo, Central Victoria, mm. and as a little kid, we used to read a lot of comics, mm. and so there was in books. So it was a great oh, reader, yeah. uh, as, as you said before, Biggles, oh, and yeah. there was uh, listen to Flash Gordon on the. Flash radio. Gordon. Woo. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever heard, even heard
0: of Flash Gordon? Yeah. Uh, oh, you have heard
2: okay, of it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Oh. Cool. And uh, also, there were little, uh, small comic books, and a lot of them were based on World War Two aircraft like uh, Hurricanes and Spitfires, yep. and yep. fighting with the Hun and all this yeah, yeah. stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. I've got a big version of that. I'll, I should mm. show it to you actually uh, at home. Yeah. They've that, that put them all together. Yeah. yeah.
2: And, and, and I think always having a, a fairly good imagination, I could just imagine myself yeah. in that in that person's uh, yeah, and, and how I would overcome the foe and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and then as as we grew up, I relatives in, in Melbourne who we would visit regularly and my uncle Ron who actually had gone to solo stage in a tiger moth he used to take me over to the Essendon airport oh. and we'd hang both of us would hang off the fence there and watch the old DC3s and the, mm. the DC6s the old prop driven yeah, ones yeah. taking off and belching smoke and making lots of noise and rumble rumble and uh, wow.
0: what? how old would you have been roughly
2: eight nine years yeah. old so when's this probably late 50s yeah. in the 50s Yeah. yeah. and uh, that stage yeah, though, was they were just starting to get the prop jet. Did really you take a
0: photo on your iPhone while you're there. They didn't just, even guess. have
2: bricks in that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was quite exciting, and so I just kind of grew up with this. Yeah love of it.
0: And when when did that sort of turn into, no, this is what I really want to do and as a career?
2: Ever since I was a kid, there's only two things I ever wanted to do was either be a pilot or, mm. a, or a doctor. Mm. So as things happened, neither of those happened initially, but I always had it in the back of my mind that I wanted to go flying. So mm. even as I went into the, to the army as a, an apprentice, mm. I still had this in the back of my mind that that was my end game. Yeah, okay. So I needed to advance my education yeah. to the point where my goal was to eventually. Yeah. Go flying whether it was military if the military became not available yeah. to be able to be in a position to pay my way like Luke does
0: mm, what sparked your interest and your yearning Sam was very similar to me, I had those. Uh, well, they were commando comics, but now and again, the commando comics that they would have aviation stories, and they were obviously a lot of them were infantry and that kind of thing. Um, they were just little, probably 85 mm. size, a bit smaller than that. Mm. Just really exciting stuff. And then was reading Biggles a lot. Really loved Biggles, particularly uh, the World War One version of because obviously he covered a number of decades never seemed to age but anyway Mm. him and his sock with camel with his lightning right hand turn Mm. and i found out later on when i researched that captain w.e johns who was the author was not actually a captain he was a lieutenant but captain sounded better on the cover so he called himself (laughs) captain but as he himself said even though the book was fiction all the accounts that he brought out the stories were actually Uh, real and so that either happened to someone or happened to someone else and then he would footnote which i'd always read the footnote so he'd be talking about akak or archie or whatever and then down the bottom he'd put enemy anti-aircraft fire or these batman would come in not batman and robin but the batman would come in and polish biggles uh, boots and that kind of thing and then down the bottom batman assistant to the pilots or something like that so it was like not only was it the fictional side and the story side but it was this kind of portal into world war one history Mm. and it really fascinated me you know biggles pioneer air fighter and biggles of 266 and Mm. looking back i've read them again recently and uh, some of those world war one and you actually see he's even writing about biggles who's probably suffering from some version of ptsd he's all shaking and white at one time he's drinking heaps and his commanding officer tells him to go and take leave because his nerves are about to break. And you just think, wow, again, it's this kind of more realistic Mm. version. But all those kind of stories, I I guess, because of the vigor and the vibrancy of the way Captain Lieutenant W.E. Johns wrote really inspired me. And I guess I wasn't captured as much by, I guess, the spirit of just pure flying, but the spirit of the aviator, or the spirit mm. of Beagles and all his friends. They just seem to be really cool. They were very professional and yet they were pioneers and they really looked after each other and it was just all that kind of stuff. That's what we really want to discuss here as well, is what is the spirit of aviation? What are those values, those, those virtues? And that's why we've sort of gone back to that initial yearning. Mm. But, with that in mind, maybe we just go a little bit deeper. We've already talked about kind of what inspired us to a certain extent. What is it about those things? So maybe start with you, Sam. You mm. talked about the comics. and uh, You talked about Beagles as well. Mm. And you talked about going down to Essendon Airport mm. and seeing aircraft for real. Are you able to articulate what it was? It really, I guess, just spoke your soul in a way.
2: Yeah. I think it, it certainly gave you a or uh, gave me a goal to attain, attain the goal you needed to have a, a determination over a long period of time yes to not lose sight of where you're going and, and each little intermediate step although I didn't realize that at yeah. the time
0: so that and that determination so because again we're talking here now about the spirit of aviation if you think about it in an aircraft if it all starts to turn to worm so to speak mm. you can't just go oh that's it I'm going home I had mm. enough you've got to whether you like it or not you're mm. on that machine to either a good end or a sorry end so sort of at that micro level of being in the machine but then also in pilots training Luke, mm, yeah you're going to need that determination you're going to need that kind of persistence on um, that tenacity
2: the attitude towards how you're going to proceed and, uh, and and you don't let little insignificant things trip you up or yeah. even even major ones you say well that's happened what am i going to do now yeah. to overcome the problem yeah yeah. I think outside the box and
0: and i think we're realistic about it as well seeing there's been times you know really hard times where even on pilots course you start thinking oh maybe i should or for me punch out particularly when the, the journey seems really long you know you've had a bad flight you might have even, from all well, i failed a few mm. flights and thinking well what am i even doing here you know i'm spending all this time and i don't seem to be making that much progress and you know, old mate will come into the crew and fellow trainee, oh, got another lazy four today and you're struggling by on a two and it's like, all right, I was up until 11, you were like playing your Commodore 64, whatever it was until, uh, that's another generational, until whatever, you know, and you you start thinking that kind of thing. But I think when, when you look back now, the determination is not so much just that, oh yeah, well, here I am and I'm just gonna push through no matter what. It's literally feeling really down, feeling really sometimes depressed about stuff and then just going, you know what? This is gonna pass. This mm. is just like in a flight, a bit of turbulence. It's just a little bit of a storm. We're gonna get past this and, and keep going. I don't know, would you agree That's that?
2: Oh a- yeah, if you take the attitude that if something goes wrong or you get a highly adverse criticism, well, it's just a, a stepping stone to.
0: What, what are some of the things that have discouraged you in in your career Sam
2: I think that what discouraged me in the early period of instruction was I went through a stage where I had a number of different instructors who had vastly different approaches to flying training I got confused with the what was expected of me once I went into military training because your career is really on the line on each flight well that's the way you think about it. it's probably not in reality it's not they'll give you a remedial but mm. that's the way it was perceived mm. for us you could get chucked off at any time mm. you had to kind Kind of if you're really stuffed up mm. you had to kind of come up with a valid reasons to why you're stuffed up and, mm. and, and at the time i was very very confused about uh, different techniques and maybe it was me maybe maybe it wasn't them at all but
0: i think it was probably a bit of both because i remember that as well and if you flew with different instructors you can sometimes get differing standards particularly when we we're at Tamworth, because they initially just brought in all the civilian instructors as subcontractors to help people get through and then we were tested by military guys and so looking back now with a bit of maturity I can see that the civilian instructors were trying to please the military instructors and oftentimes they were marking probably way too hard than perhaps what they should have in an an effort to show that, hey, we're just as hard as the military. And that was discouraging. I guess that's a part of perseverance and determination as well. If you don't have it clear in your mind about what you're trying to achieve, not just past pilot's course, but actually each sequence, Mm. you know, and you would have seen that as an instructor as well. It's really discouraging when someone stuffs something up and they just go, mate, you just need to do better. That's not... That's not very helpful because yeah. the reason I'm not doing better is I'm either not seeing something that you're you're not seeing or I am seeing it and I just don't know how to fix it. So yeah. please break it down for me. I guess for you as well, Luke, as you get to into harder sequences and things like that, yeah. is one thing is always, what is exactly wrong and hard? In fact, why don't you talk into that a little bit, Sam, in terms of helping Luke in his determination, endurance, and so forth. You know, if he, if he gets to a point in the future, I'm prep him now, where it's mm. just, going, man, this is really hard. Yeah, is there any kind of mm. wise words you can give him?
2: Well, in, in each uh, sequence that you do, they give you information that you've got to take in. Yep. So you're expected to prep for that particular yeah, flight. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there should only be a maximum, I think it is three, isn't it? Three new concepts per... Should be. Should be. Yeah. Should and, be. And three
0: debrief points generally yeah. as well.
2: There, there should only be three major new concepts that are produced in each flight. Yeah. So, provided you've got that in your head before you go up there, Mm. and you understand it, that's all you need to be ahead. Don't get too far ahead, Mm. don't get behind. But if you don't understand the concept, you need to before you go flying, you need to get that squared away. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be behind the eight ball before you even go flying Yeah, so there's, a, there's an old saying you never go somewhere that you haven't first visited in your mind if you have visited in your mind and you don't understand it it's just the same. you need to seek <laughs> yeah. help and the time for seeking help is well before you go flying not when you're in the air because that, that will be perceived to be a weakness
0: yeah and we'll definitely talk more about prep and giving your informing your situational awareness and your competence from the ground like anchoring it to the ground so that when you get in the aircraft you'll, you are prepped as much as you possibly can because it's easy, believe me, we'll talk about this later, mm. to comprehensively miss the point when you're prepping as well. Yeah. And you think you're putting in these hours and you are, but they're just not hitting the mark so we'll talk more about that but i just wanted to discuss that a little bit because going back to our original topic of the yearning the spark the the desire to go for i think that is a pure and it's a lovely thing but it's got to be grounded in the reality of mm. this is hard work
2: you know, yes. this is part of your preparation have you done a, a stall not exercise?
1: yet not yet uh, mm. looking forward to that one
2: but that's probably it's in the next sequence. yeah yeah but that sort of thing when you go into stalls and spindles and and even turns and imagine yourself doing the circuit mm. we 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 use a technique as, close your eyes and you can actually envisage and and what's happening in in your mind. And the the nose is coming up and it's going to shake and the one is going. What are you going to do with the inputs? So you're actually flying in your mind.
0: Mm. Yeah, you mentally model it and even sit there with a big like meter ruler and well, you won't have a collective, but um, you know and exactly do that and that's yeah. sam said that to us a number of times as well you should never go anywhere where your mind hasn't already gone in mm-hmm. a sense so you've mm-hmm. already prepped yourself what else sam was there anything else that took the glow off that yearning to fly bringing a bit of discouragement as you went through your career
2: Oh, as i went through the career there were a couple of times where i got discouraged because well for a couple of reasons one was obviously fail rides
0: did you have many of them no
2: have? but i, I did <laughs> find <fail laughs> <laughs> I did fail the instrument, it was in a Kiowa and covered up with yeah. Bon Amy in those days. And single single pilot. Oh, yeah, 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 and so for all intents and purposes, I couldn't see anything outside. Yeah. I was in cloud and the time I took off and, and slipped the surly bonds of earth until we arrived back in one piece. Yeah. And we nearly didn't because uh, we went from Okie down to kool and coming out of kool we went through this huge hailstorm and ended up having to go up to Brisbane and land. The uh, jet ranger looked like a golf ball by the oh, time wow. we got out. And huh. then the instructor had the frontery or the gall to, <laughs> to blame me for flying through the thunderstorm. <laughs> which I thought was a bit harsh
0: going to talk about leadership and character in... Uh I mean, aviation in the future but
2: in the military they tend to to mark everybody as average on your, on your trip sheets yeah and I remember doing this assessment with Peter Rogers and uh, we flew around there and in amongst the trees and kind of chucked this thing on the ground and I thought I'd done a wonderful job and he came back here well that's that's a good average flight and I was thinking gee if that's average I like to see above average yeah and yeah. because at that time I was also one of the pilots in the precision display team mm-hmm. and it was as far as Peter was concerned, I was an average pilot, so I thought, I don't know what you've got to do to, <laughs> to get any better than this. And, and then later on in my career, when I was a cadet instructor on Iroquois and Kiowas, I did a staff flight with Dave Fawcett, Senator Dave Fawcett. He's a perfectionist, as you know, and a test pilot. he I, I wasn't a test pilot at that time. We were doing auto rotations, one for one, and I kind of popped this thing on the ground, and it was like a butterfly with sore fleet landing. <laughs> And I kind of look at him with this smug look on my face, looked over there, and what do you think of that, Dave? In full, of, full of you know pride. And he said, "Well," and he spent the next quarter of an hour debriefing on how he was he would do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a huge discouragement to me. <laughs> Sometimes it's better to keep your mouth shut and just have a go yourself.
0: <laughs> no, nah, that's really good. And I kind of, as just as you were talking there, I was thinking about a few of my own kind of stories in that way where you do feel like, well, I think, because it, like, it can go two way. We I think we're naturally more critical sometimes as pilots because that's how we grow up. Like every single flight you are debriefed on the things that you did wrong. And yeah, they might throw in a few things that you've done mm. right and stuff. But every flight is going to have something as people term now, is mm. And yet, as long as it is anchored in reality, if this is who you really are and this is how you really perform, that's fine. But that's all presupposing egos and stuff don't get yeah, in the way. And oftentimes, right. even what happened to you, Sam, sometimes it can just be the other ego is going, Oh, hang on a minute. Like, uh, I feel like you're getting a bit higher than me now. So, you know, Aussie, tall poppy, I better pull you down a little bit and yeah. say it was just an average flight when yeah. maybe they deep down. They're going, Oh, gee, that was pretty good. You yeah. remind me of something um, I went out in, in a Blackhawk and doing steep turns can be quite difficult, you know, because you go up to 60 degree angle, bang, keep speed, keep your altitude. If you do it properly, you'll get this bump at the end where you fly through your own downdraft. (laughs) Very rarely happy. And you get instructors who take you out and you know, if you hadn't flown for a while, hadn't done it for a while, it'd it'd be pretty poor. You'd be out of balance, lose height, gain height, and they just do it perfectly. And and then you'd be feeling really bad. Well, what you didn't realize was about three, four months later, you've practiced a heap yourself You're taking Blogsy out, whoever the student is. You're right, mate, watching you offer a demonstration, roll in. All the way around, boom, feel that? That's our own downdraft power. Now you have a go. And then like up and down all over the place. And it's just True. like, you just realize that whatever instructor or whatever proficiency level they're at, they're just human. And they've mm. actually got to it probably by practicing, yeah. which you may not always get to practice as much mm. as they do. But again, as long as a critique is about the reality of where you're at, not so mm. much about the ego. Again, that is a pure part of what we were talking about before, the, the yearning, the spark, the, the, the spirit of aviation is is keep it real. Mm. Keep it real. If you've done something badly, then admit it. If you've mm. done something well, then I think you should be recognised for that. Mm. And often we don't, we don't do that. So yeah.
2: mm. that's yeah. a good point on the uh, turns because helicopters aren't sensitive to. Turbulence because of the lots of things. Yeah, yeah, There's a fixed wing, but when you get on, which you will shortly, onto steep turns, the effect on a fixed wing when you do a fi- when a, when you do that perfect yeah, steep yeah. turn, you go through your through your own wash can be quite severe. Oh nice yeah. so yeah. you so, so you, you know don't se- ride right
1: if you're struggling to. Yeah, maintain but you've got to be level. mentally yeah. prepared to go bang. <laughs> and go,
2: what was that? <laughs> 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 I'm gonna <Excellent>. die. <laughs> um,
1: so
0: what about you, Luke? I mean, you're obviously still early days.
1: I guess probably I would say at this point I've got a fairly high passion for aviation, which I think going into it, um, especially civilly, you really need to have because you're not getting paid to do it. But probably the biggest discouragement I have at the moment is trying to find the, it's a way off trying to find the first first job with, with mm. low hours. If you have a look through forums and stuff here mm. in Australia, you usually get a pretty uh, cynical view of how the general mm. aviation industry is going in terms of employment. I guess as a young pilot, it's going to be spending mm. all this money on um, trying to mm. get a commercial pilot's license, only to hear that people are struggling yeah. to get jobs. Out West is probably mm. a little bit discouraging, but then you just go, well, I love flying, yeah. uh, so yeah. uh, if, you, if you love it that much, then you'll just kind of make it work. And I think that the aviation industry goes through cycles as well, like sort of ebb and flow cycles.
0: Sometimes it's a pilot's market, sometimes it's an employer's market. What's well, probably true for most jobs, but, you know, if you're prepared to work hard, yeah. if you're a person of character, if you're a person that's fairly competent at what they do mm-hmm. and, and is, is striving for mastery and you're prepared to take a few hard knocks here and there... I think, especially, you know, you've got different connections anyway through mm. us, through
1: a few dads. I think you can still hold out a fairly high hope that there's going to be yeah. a job waiting for you. Out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm not worried. I think it's probably the discouragement comes when you kind of read the post and it's mm. like, oh, the yeah, market's yeah. crap. And you're like, no. Oh. But overall, you know, I, I want to be an excellent pilot. And I don't mean that mm. in a boastful way. I mean, yeah. like, I want to know as much as I can to be mm. the safest pilot I can. Yeah. And I am prepared to work hard. So that's, that's the best I can do. I'm not going to worry if that's you know not yeah. enough. Apart from yeah. that, it's all beyond my yeah. control. As long as you have got the the passion there and you aren't ignorant of the yeah. amount of work that you're you're going to yeah. put in, then I think you'd be fine. Yeah. Which- well, hopefully, right. when the uh, when the low times come,
0: we can reinvigorate your passion, yeah, you know, yeah. mate. Because there That'd will be good. hard times that come, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. Sure, there will. You could contrast it to those early dudes, those priests and monks throwing themselves off buildings trying to fly. Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> certainly, certainly, one up, on, <laughs> up on them. <laughs> I think for me, probably a discouraging
0: thing was was tests. I just I hated tests. I hate the whole concept of tests. Even now, at age forty four, having done so many tests, I still hate them, and mm. I don't know why. They just make me nervous. And having, and, you know, I've talked to other people as well that are right. older than me and they feel the same way and it would be discouraging to get through you know the gfas for example then do gfpt general flight performance test and then and then fail it and oftentimes it was just it was silly things it's what we would call a brain fart like it was for me when we did the gfpt and the ct4 um, there was a flap speed and so you have a speed at which you can't exceed while extending the flaps and it was a really rough turbulent day mm-hmm. and so coming in as a student you've only got particular frame of reference that you used to and it was a bit of a rougher day so got on a downwind come around you know put the flaps down and the airspeed indicator went boom like that up to 85 or whatever it was and then back down and the instructor goes ah sorry mate that's a that's a fail and what was funny was I went out with my remedial instructor who shall remain nameless equally rough day as he demonstrated and I saw that airspeed indicator bounce (laughs) through must have been I don't know two or three times with the flaps fully extended I find that discouraging. Instructors are instructors. They're always going to be better, but they're still human. Yeah. And I think what is discouraging is instructor pretends that nothing has happened or a pre- instructor pretends that he's done better than what he has rather than just admitting and go, hey, look, I'm human too. You get one, a sense of hypocrisy, but also you begin, it's, it's almost like as a student or as a trainee, it's like, well, you just let this happen to you. I can't actually live up to that anyway. You're asking for a perfect standard. No one is perfect. Mm. If you'd been realistic about it, I would have learned way more than just oh that's a fail anyway that was a bit of a discouragement i sort of learned to deal with tests better in the future and we'll probably dedicate a whole podcast to the dynamics and the psychology of tests but are there any final words or anything about the spark the aviation spark the yearning the desire to fly any final words of salutation to biggles or love biggles
1: it's just so freeing i was having a look at video blogs of some other pilots and they kind Mm. of load up their cessna with some camping gear and go to a a flying air show and camp there Mm. for a couple of days so i guess That's, I'm looking forward to that kind of stuff. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> a lot of hard work to get to that yeah, point. And I think it's important
0: to remember why we wanted to do it. And I think it is a gift. And we might even talk later on about faith and flight. For me, I really see aviation as a gift, literally, from God. Look, I think it's pretty special. You know, obviously, human beings have designed aircraft, have done that. But they're human beings that were designed with a brain to do that. Any final words from you, Sam?
2: Yeah, I, th- I, I agree with you entirely that having flown for a long period of time, you're still getting, well, not than I'm flying at the moment, but that excitement of you're know, actually flying as the sun comes up and the magnificent sun rises and the, the weather and you're kind of going, yee and I'm getting paid for this. It's just <laughs> marvellous.
1: Cancel Sahuach is the last radio call a pilot makes when a flight has landed safely. The SAR in Sahuach is an acronym for Search and Rescue, when a pilot radios cancel Sarwatch, they let air traffic services know they have landed safely and the search and rescue watch can be cancelled. If the flight has been flown safely and professionally, then a cancel Sarwatch call must surely epitomise the spirit of aviation because it will realistically represent the totality of a pilot's attitude, training, experience and wisdom in bringing the aircraft back home safely. Cancel watch, the call we hope every pilot makes, every flight, in the name of our podcast. Again... Thanks for listening and don't forget to comment and rate us on iTunes and to visit us at www.cancelsarwatch.com where you'll find additional content to help you cancel Sarwatch. We can also be found on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Hit your Cancel Sarwatch bookmark in about two weeks for our next episode.